You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. We've been with us the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've been in 1 Corinthians, uh, a smaller sermon series within our larger sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, really, chapters 8 through 10 of 1 Corinthians, we see a consistent call from the Apostle Paul. And over the last two weeks specifically, we've encountered texts in which we've been called to live lives of sacrifice. We've said it over and over again over the past couple of weeks that lives which lack sacrifice are lives which lack love. In the last couple of weeks, we've been called to lay down our rights, our freedoms, our preferences, our time, and our finances for the sake of of our Christian brothers and sisters, and for the sake of proclaiming clearly, without obstacle, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been called to be others-focused, called to evaluate ourselves and repent of selfishness, entitlement, and placing our identities in how impressive or powerful or influential we can be. And, And all of these things are very virtuous calls. They're very important calls, they're historic calls that the the church of Jesus Christ throughout the last 2,000 years has consistently been reminded of. And I hope that we're a church that will quickly respond to these calls, quickly respond to a call to give up our rights and our freedoms in order that the love of God might be shown to others. I hope that we're a church that loves our community so much that we would make any sacrifice it would take that they would hear and believe that Christ is Lord. But mostly I just hope that we'll be a church that loves Christ so much that we'll be motivated to respond to these calls. And and really I think that we are a church that has the right knowledge in terms of how we should live as Christians. I think that we're a church that has developed some good tools and and ways of thinking to know how we should engage with one another and with our neighbors. Like, I think we have that down pretty well. But what I'm afraid of is that even with all of our knowledge, even with all of our tools, even with all of the practical application that we have, that we might still be a church that is not motivated to step into faithfulness in regards to sacrifice. I, I, I'm a fisherman. I love to fish. And, and, and I really, most of you probably know that about me because I talk about it a lot and I'm always trying to make plans and find a day that I can go to the water and I think fishing is so, so exciting. I think it's such a unique way to interact with nature that really I, I would hope that everyone in this room could experience it. But if I was trying to convince you to become a fisherman, the first thing that I would do would not be to buy you a rod and a reel and a tackle box. It, it would certainly eliminate one obstacle from you, fish, from you not being able to go fishing and that you would have the right tools. But the first thing I would do would not be to buy you the gear. And the first thing I would do would also not to be to buy you a book or to send you a bunch of articles on, on how to fish and how to judge the tides and how to know what weather is good weather for fishing and what seasons are good seasons for fishing. 
Because then you'd have a lot of knowledge about fishing and you'd have the right tools to go fishing, but you still probably wouldn't be motivated to go fishing. But if I wanted to convince you to go fishing, I would probably begin to tell you about all the things about fishing that I find wonderful and beautiful and exciting. I would tell you how the first sip of coffee tastes when you're driving toward the coast in the truck trying to beat the sun to the water. I'd probably tell you about the serenity and the excitement that there is when you're the only one at the water unloading your gear and preparing to get in. I'd tell you about the sounds of the birds and the sounds of the shrimp popping out of the grass around the edge of the water. I would explain to you the intoxicating aroma of the cool and salty air on an early autumn morning. I'd tell you what it's like to watch the ripples of the kayak paddle push outward into the still water. I'd explain to you how exciting it is to see a trout slick on the water and smell the fish even before you've caught them. The sweet smell of watermelon candy. I'd tell you all of the interesting things that you might see from blue crabs gliding across the top of the surface to shrimp popping and mullet jumping and birds circling. I'd tell you about the rare but very exciting occasion when you can see a couple of redfish tails sticking out of the water as they root around in the dead grass for, for bait. And then I would tell you how much more exciting it is to cast to those tailing redfish in hopes that they would be more intrigued by your lure than the blue crab that they're chasing. And then I would tell you about what it feels like when the line tightens up and the rod bends and the drag on your reel begins screaming and, and this fight that's more like a dance ensues where you're trying to get this fish to the boat without breaking the line without letting it pop off, and then how great it feels to finally bring that first fish of the day into your lap and measure it to see if it's dinner or not. I'd tell you about how exciting and exhausting it is to finally load up the truck and drive home soggy and sun-drained, but glad. Maybe if I wanted you to go fishing, I'd just read you Ernest Hemingway. And then I just invite you to come experience it for yourself. And so what I'm afraid of is that we're a church that has all the tools and all the knowledge necessary to walk in faithfulness while lacking the desire. Having not yet perceived a life of sacrifice as something beautiful and rewarding. Let's hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 again. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. In this text, Paul is continuing to make the same point that he began making at the beginning of chapter 8. The point that that he is and that the church should be willing to give up their rights and preferences and freedoms in order to serve all people in hopes that they would be saved by grace through faith in Christ. But what he says in verses 22 and 23 is that he has become all things to all people that by all means he might save some. And he does this all for the sake of the gospel that he may share with them in its blessings. So we can discuss the specifics of the sort of lifestyle Paul is talking about. And we'll do that next week. But what we already know is that it is a lifestyle of sacrifice and selflessness a lifestyle in which personal freedoms are considered to be far less valuable than the freedom to serve others. But Paul isn't discussing anything new in this text. He's only expanding on what he's already been saying. But verses 22 and 23 are particularly compelling to me because in these verses, Paul reveals to the Corinthians what his motivation is. His motivation to live a selfless life of sacrifice and of laying down his rights is that he might share in the blessings of the gospel. He says he'll observe Jewish customs in order to proclaim the gospel to Jews, knowing that he is not bound by the ceremonial Jewish law or the Jewish calendar. He'll participate in Corinthian cultural norms so as long as they don't violate his Christian principles. If this is what will allow him to relate to and engage with the Corinthians in regards to expressing the gospel. He'll sacrifice his rights, he'll sacrifice his preferences, his freedoms, and any other thing in order that some, just some, might be saved. But he does this for the sake of the gospel that he might share with these people in its blessings. So what Paul is saying is that that the good news of Christ is worthy of his life's total ambition. And his only hope, his only aim, his only ambition is to enjoy the blessings of the gospel along with those who might be saved through him administering the gospel. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about the lives we're called to live. And we have some practical understandings of maybe some of the rights that we might be called to lay down. Maybe you've talked about that with your neighborhood parish. Maybe somebody has called you to lay down a certain right that they might feel loved. In other words, I think over the last couple of weeks, we've been given a rod, a reel, and a tackle box. Maybe a couple of books. But we will not be compelled to use them until the beauty and romance and intimacy of the gospel overtakes us. We can have great theology. We can have great missiology and ecclesiology We can know all 
the ways that we are supposed to live practically. We can challenge each other to live selflessly and faithfully, but until the beauty and blessings of the gospel overwhelm us, we will never be a church who does those things. Until the grace of God is revealed to us in all of its majesty, until we see the kingdom of God as buried treasure that we would be willing to give up anything to attain, until we worship a beautiful, powerful, sacrificial Savior with reckless abandon, until all of these things happen, we will continue to be a selfish people. We will continue to put our identity into other things, maybe our ability to be impressive. We'll continue to see life as something that primarily exists for us to pursue our own happiness and pleasure unless we are convinced that in the gospel there is more happiness and pleasure to be experienced. So really, I I wanted to take time this morning not to continue giving us tools and calls in regards to how we should live and what we should do, but to remind us of the beauty of of the gospel. Church, before all things began, there was God, holy and majestic and loving and just. And he existed before all things in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He created the world and the cosmos and man and woman as an outpouring of his love and power and creativity and holiness. He created a world rich with color and wonder and diversity, and he created humans to possess his likeness, creative, powerful, and honorable. And he gave them authority over this wonderful creation that he had made, yet they squandered this opportunity with a desire to be God themselves, unhappy to simply be like him and to be blessed by him. They wanted more. They wanted God's knowledge and his power, and they committed treason against God, a crime that is certainly punishable by death. Yet while God did sentence them to die at the end of their days, in the immediate he treated them gracefully rather than punitively. He promised them that one day there would be victory over their disobedience and over the death that they would experience. And that that victory would come from a woman's womb. A human hero and savior was promised. And so throughout the generations, God continually made promises to his people. Promising them that he would be their God in spite of their faithlessness, that he would be their protector and that they would be his people as a son is to his father. Even so, humans continually turned from him. Sometimes it was because they were unable to trust that he would provide or protect for them and so they would try to make their own way. Sometimes they would turn from him because they became convinced that there was some other God who could treat them more wonderfully, who would please them more. And so they began to worship the creation of their own hands and imaginations. Sometimes it was because they were overcome with desire toward the things that God had lovingly invited them not to do. 
So God, over time, would discipline his people. But he would never stop promising them that one day their suffering, their wandering, and their guilty records would be removed. He promised them love and prosperity and security even in the midst of their disobedience. And church, God has always kept his promises. Humanity has always been hopeless apart from God's intervention. We are a race that throughout history has been marked by fickleness and selfishness and desire and foolishness. We are a race marked by violence and disease and death. We are a race marked by murder and adultery and war. Sinful desires and death have always won in human history. The generations came and went many times over, hoping that finally God would make good on his promise to provide a human who would crush these things they could not crush themselves. Death and sin and failure. A human who would be better than them, who would establish them as victorious rather than defeated, one who would make them reap peace instead of war. But there wasn't one. Even the best of the leaders in human history were murderous, adulterous, dishonest, and selfish. And all of them died. But God, in his love for his people, decided to become one himself. Born of woman and conceived of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ was the one for whom God's people had been waiting. He was not overwhelmed by temptation or ambition or pride or selfishness as all of them had been before. Rather than flexing his divinity at every opportunity, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so this morally perfect God-man named Jesus was here, the one for whom all humans, generation after generation, had hoped for, yet God's people overwhelmingly did not recognize or embrace this Jesus as the one they were looking for. They didn't recognize him as the graceful and holy king. Instead, they despised him, rejected him, called him a heretic, and tortured him. As the one who had, they tortured him as one who had committed the sin of their father, Adam, treason. Though he was the perfect God of all things, who created the heavens, the earth, and the people on it, he allowed them to arrest him, abuse him, and put him to death. He submitted himself to the wrath of God for the sins of all who would eventually believe in him. He suffered and died, and then after the weekend had passed, he rose from the grave. Victorious over temptation and sin, and now victorious over death as well. He had died sacrificially, establishing that God's wrath would be absorbed in his death rather than in his people. And he rose victoriously, establishing a new created order in which death no longer wins. Life is now eternal and full for those who would hope in this promised king. 
church, this is the good news, the gospel message. And when people believe in this message, God's power is established in their lives such that the anxious one finds confidence, such that the lonely find intimacy with God, such that the sinful are forgiven. When people put their hope in this message, the poor are given the kingdom of God. The brokenhearted are given every spiritual blessing that is to be experienced. The rejected and abandoned are adopted and loved. The foolish are given the spirit of wisdom. The weary are given rest. The weak are made strong and the mourning are comforted. This is the good news of God, church. And when people trust in Christ, they're given access to God's love, to His forgiveness, to His power. Through his spirit. Though we have committed cosmic treason over and over and over, God has invited us to sit as key players in the running of his universe. Though we have rejected God and his commandments over and over and over, he has accepted us into the family of God as sons and daughters, holy beloved. Though we are fickle, he has shown patience. And there is nothing that he requires of us. No standard we have to meet. No exam that we have to pass. No moral standard that we have to live up to, save that we trust in his son. That in his son, the God-man Jesus Christ, there is nothing lacking for our benefit. That Christ is enough because he is all. And as he always has, in light of this gospel message, God has continued to make more promises to his people. In Christ, the people of God are promised God's unending love and forgiveness. We're promised eternal life in the presence and power of God himself. We're promised security in our relationship with God that we can't mess up in spite of our foolishness. We're promised growth and eventually perfection as God works his power in us, changing us and shaping us to bear his likeness more powerfully than ever before. We're promised spiritual gifts that will manifest within us for the benefit of our Christian brothers and sisters and for the benefit of this good and perfect news to advance to all people. We're promised that we can have hope because God always keeps his promises. At the core of this gospel message is this, that God has sacrificed so much in order that he could establish us as his people forever. He has loved us so deeply that he gave us his very son to be killed on our behalf. He's loved us so dearly that he looked at the records of our sin, having not loved him, in fact, having hated him, and he still went to great lengths in choosing us, saving us, adopting us, redeeming us and showing us his beauty that we would love him and find perfect joy in his presence. 
He's loved us so much that he has given us good and holy commandments that when we heed their warning, we will be led into joy and peace and righteousness. He does this because he knows that in his choosing, there is joy and peace. In his wisdom, there is comfort and blessing, and in his love, there are riches beyond compare. This is the kind of God that we have, church. This is the kind of love that we've been shown, the kind of message that we have to proclaim. What could be better than inviting others into this? What could be more worthwhile than giving up whatever it takes to introduce people to a God who has given everything for them? What can be more satisfying than intimacy and power and rest and joy and security that can only be found in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in relationship with the God of all things? These are the blessings of the gospel. These were Paul's only aim, to enjoy this love fully through sacrificial living, to be like his Savior in giving up all things for all people that by all means just some might be saved. There are a lot of people in our city in need of this message. There are a lot of people in our city who have yet to hear something so compelling and so beautiful and so powerful, but until we're moved by it, we just won't tell them. We won't go to the links that we are called to go to until we are in awe of this God. This is the message that makes us ask God to make our hearts his royal throne. This is the message that that leads us to sing that, that our will would no longer be ours, but that it would be the only wise and loving and perfect God of the universe working in us. Church, lives that lack sacrifice are lives that lack love, but we have a God who is in his very being love, and he has manifested it most fully in sacrifice. We can become like our neighbors. We can become like the weak because God has become like us that we might be saved. Let's pray. Lord, would you, by the power of your spirit, cause us to be in awe of your love? Would you, by the power of your Spirit, cause us to surrender everything to you and your gospel, knowing that in this good news is life and peace and forgiveness and lasting joy. God, I pray that this news would comfort those of us in the room in need of comfort, that it would be a warm blanket to our soul. God, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, that those in this room this morning who have not yet believed this good news would have heard it and found it compelling, and that by your Spirit, you would reveal your beauty and your grace such that they would turn to you. God, would we be a church that runs to your table to be nourished and satisfied 
knowing that in you is the only true nourishment, in you is the only true satisfaction, and that you will empower us to give up everything, that you will give us the freedom to make ourselves servants. God, I pray that we will be a church that will become all things to all people by all means that some would be saved. Would you do that work in this church and would you do that work in this city? We pray these things in confidence of your victorious son. Amen.